grateful for the dead, but not the grateful dead. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the Sunday Sermon of November 1st, 2020, from Christ Church, Jerusalem. The Feast of All Saints is the perfect opportunity to be reminded of the biblical nature of holiness, vindicating some points of both Roman Catholic and Protestant views. This feast day, says Rev. David Pelegi, also allows us to express our gratitude to those who have gone before us and have shown us how to live faithfully in troubled times, in war, persecution, epidemics, or even in the everyday routines of life. Of course, we must remember that those who have died in faith are not really dead. They are very much alive as that great cloud of witnesses cheering us on to the finish line. Before we begin, we remind you that you can watch our sermons and services. Our Sunday evening communion service is broadcast in its entirety on YouTube at 4 p.m. UK time, 11 a.m. U.S. Eastern time. Videos of just the sermons are posted on YouTube on Tuesdays. Visit youtube.com slash ChristChurchJerusalem. Subscribe to get notifications of new videos. Now, on to the lectionary readings. The first reading comes from Revelation 7. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom Thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. The second reading is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. 
Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Our gospel portion this evening is taken from Matthew chapter 5, a very familiar passage. Because these are the words of the Lord, we stand in his honor. If you'll join me, please, standing. The gospel of our Lord Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, beginning at the first verse, a character sketch of a saint. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of, the God, uh, the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. Father in heaven, we come to you as your children. We come to you in humility. We pray that you'll teach us, teach us the way of your son Jesus, how to live his life and to live in a way that pleases you. And we pray that we will learn not only from your Holy Spirit, but teach us through those faithful ones your saints who have gone before us. We pray that we may be inspired by their lives, encouraged by, what, by their deeds. We pray that uh, we will be willing to learn from them, to model our lives on their lives as they follow Jesus. Lord, help us in these things, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Well, today is All Saints Day, and uh, it is an important Christian feast. And uh, I won't go into all the history and the details of uh, this particular feast day because it's so readily available uh, nowadays on Wikipedia. And so after the sermon is over, uh, you can take out your phones and uh, look for more of the of the backstory. I usually don't 
give sermons a name, especially up front, but I'd like to uh, alter my past practices and call this sermon Grateful to the Dead. Okay, Grateful to the Dead. Now some of you I can see are old enough and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking about Jerry Garcia, or is it Cherry Garcia and the Grateful Dead? And uh, there are a number of you who remember this illustrious American rock band. And uh, they were quite an interesting band in that perhaps more than any other pop group or rock group, they were not a pop group, they actually created a uh, very strong community around the band. And uh, their fans were known as Deadheads. And they went from show to show and concert to concert. They made sure that these concerts were sold out. They made sure that the band um, uh, certainly made a lot of money. And uh, there was a strong community. Some of it was probably pretty good, tie-dye t-shirts, and uh, there are probably other aspects of the, of the community that uh, perhaps not so edifying. So, great gratitude for the dead, the dead in Christ, and not the grateful dead. We'll come back to them, perhaps. Now, the dilemma is, Really, every time we come to a Christian feast day, the dilemma for the preacher is, do we preach the holiday or do you preach the text? And uh, perhaps we'll try to do a little bit of both and we'll see at the end how successful we are. So you might ask the question, especially if you're a Protestant, why celebrate All Saints Day? Isn't that something Roman Catholic? And while it is certainly something that um, is very strong in the Roman Catholic tradition, in the Greek Orthodox tradition. Uh, I'd like to remind folks that uh, the Reformers, like Calvin and Luther, did not throw this holiday out. Although there was a lot of fighting and disagreement, yes, between Protestants and Catholics. Roman Catholics, of course, said that, that someone who is a saint is someone who is very holy, very pure, someone who has uh, sanctified themselves, someone who lives uh, perhaps in a very righteous, godly way. Somebody who's special, doesn't live the normal, perhaps, Christian life. And the Reformers and the Protestants said, well, that's going too far. And there's a lot of abuse around saints, especially praying to saints. And they fell back on the scriptural injunction or the scriptural passages which said, all those that are found in Christ are saints. And so this debate, despite, you might say, has gone on uh, for 500 years. I think it's time to put the debate to bed. And here's the celebration of All Saints Day should remind us, really, what is saintliness? 
You know, what does it mean to be holy? Because the, the Bible will surely bear out that saintliness or holiness is a tension between election, between God choosing us and sanctifying us in Jesus the Messiah, and it is linked to obedience. So in a way, the Catholics were right, and so too were the Protestants. <clears throat> you might uh, ask, well, how do you prove such a thing? I think it's very simple. In Genesis 2, verse 3, we're told that the Sabbath is holy. Yes, the Sabbath, having an, uh, an association with God, is holy. It's set aside because on that day, God ceased his creating, his work of creation. Yeah, but then in Exodus chapter 20, in that long chapter on the Ten Commandments, we're told, or we read, that God commands Israel, Israel, I want you to sanctify the Sabbath. I want you to make the Sabbath holy. Now, wait a minute. Didn't God already declare the Sabbath to be holy? And yet he's telling Israel, sanctify the Sabbath. You may uh, remember also in Exodus 19, God tells Israel, you are a holy nation. Yet five times in the book of Leviticus, God uh, tells the people of Israel, yes, be holy as I am holy. The people of Israel, wait a minute, they've already been declared holy. God has already said, you are sanctified. The same could be true, uh, for example, of the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord, where we are told in um, Ezekiel 36, the name of the Lord is holy. But then Isaiah 29, God expects the people of Israel to make the name of the Lord holy. Well, that's certainly the pattern we read in the Hebrew Bible, but the pattern is certainly the same in the New Testament. And uh, I think we'll just, there, there are many places we could, uh, we could read from. But uh, my favorite is um, really from 1 Corinthians. Because it's in 1 Corinthians that Paul uh, writes to this church. And he writes and uh, he opens his letter by saying to this community that is fairly dysfunctional, misguided, and certainly not living uh, in a way that brings glory to God. He says to this uh, community. He says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Continues, by the way, in chapter 3, when he says, again, to a community uh, that is fairly broken, he says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that the Holy Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. 
And of course, the next 14 chapters or so, Paul takes the community apart lovingly, yes, to show where they're wrong and how they need to be corrected. It's certainly, you may remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, when talking about uh, sexual immorality, he says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Or in 2 Corinthians, at the end of chapter 6, in the beginning of chapter 7, Paul uh, talks again, uses the image of the temple. He talks about the community as being the temple of the living God. He says, I will live with them, I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of a reverence for God. So the pattern continues. The pattern is very simply that Anything associated with God is holy. So in the Hebrew Bible, it might be the Sabbath. It might be the throne of God. It might be the garments of the high priest. It might be the, the, the Temple Mount, the Sabbath, the people of Israel. And yet at the same time, all of these things must be sanctified. And God partners with us in this process of sanctification. The same is true in the New Testament. We read in 1 John chapter 3, that very beautiful passage, that we are children of God, but yet at the same time, we have to purify ourselves. And so All Saints Day is just, a, I think, an important reminder, yes, of the nature of holiness or the nature of sainthood. We are holy in Christ, as I said, but at the same time, God expects his people yes, to be engaged, to make the effort, with the help of the Holy Spirit, no doubt, yes, to walk in a way of purity and uh, sanctification. I think it's probably important to remind us, remind ourselves that the goal of holiness or the goal of sainthood it's not, a, uh, not an end in itself. Although some people make it an end in itself. Some people have holiness as the goal. We have all kinds of denominations with the name holiness. But holiness in and of itself, or sainthood, is not the goal. The goal is God. And it's only holiness or, or, or sanctity yes, or sanctification, that uh, is the bridge that allows us to enter into that relationship with him. Without holiness, the book of Hebrews says, can you complete the verse? No one will see the Lord, see God. Yes, 
Without holiness, no one will see God. And I'm not convinced that it's about something that happens in the world to come. I believe it happens in this life as well. And holiness is not only a separation from evil, it's also a separation from good. And what makes the God of Israel holy is not that he is powerful and other and that he is set apart. And of course he does know evil, but what makes him good, sorry, what makes him holy is that he is good. There's lots of gods in this world. There's lots of idols in this world. And many of these idols have incredible power. Yes, there may not be the true God, but yet at the same time, none of them, none of them are good. Now, what does it look, what does goodness look like? And what does holiness looks like, look like? I believe that for us as believers, that holiness, wholeness, it looks, uh, holiness really is defined for us by the Torah. Yes, by the scripture. But who interprets and lives out the scripture for us if we're followers of Jesus? None other than Jesus the Messiah. And on the Sermon on the Mount, I, I believe that he teaches us and he teaches our, uh, our community, yes, what it means to be holy, what it means to, to be pure. And uh, just read this as, as a reminder. We read them earlier, but he begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those, yes, blessed are, are, are those who uh, are in a state of humility, who know their need, who know uh, the need that they have uh, for help. Yes, because they comprise, this I believe is the meaning of the Greek, they make up this kingdom of heaven movement. And the, the definition of what it means to be poor in spirit is very simple. To be poor in spirit is to be those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, yes, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness. So Jesus defines for us here not only what is good and gives us a standard of holiness. But you might say that what holiness is, or sainthood is, yeah, probably can be described in one word, discipleship. And discipleship is nothing more than the imitation of Jesus the Messiah, taking on his life, living that life, being transformed into his image. And so what makes for saintliness? What makes for, what makes for sainthood? You know, it's not that uh, all the saints that we know, whether they're the big saints like St. Billy Graham or St. John Wesley or St. Augustine, um, it's, or maybe millions of people who are unknown and yet live godly lives. It's not that they're perfect. 
It's that they pursued holiness. Yes, they were intentional about discipleship. And I believe that's what makes for sainthood. And I believe that's why the day, the feast, is important. I think there's another reason, two, several other reasons as well, is that the dead really aren't dead. Especially we're talking about those, you know, who have been faithful and gone before us. Um, they're alive. And uh, we sometimes have this image, I think it may be the wrong image, that they're somehow way up high in heaven and they're looking down on us. I don't quite believe that. I actually believe, and while I have no proof, that they're right next to us, yet in another dimension, a dimension that we can't uh, see and feel or touch. But the dead, are they surround us. And according to Hebrews chapter 11, they cheer us on. Yes, they want, they are cheering, yes, for our success that we'll continue to be faithful. In addition, yes, we pray, listen very carefully, I don't want you to close the computer. We pray with the dead. We don't pray to the dead. I don't believe that's scriptural. I'm not going to ask my saintly grandmother to intercede on my behalf. We have Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father who is interceding for us. Yet at the same time, we read Revelation chapter 5. We read the following, that when we praise the Lord, when we engage in worship, whether it's worship in a big assembly with a, with a with a worship band, or it's something that we're doing privately uh, in our own homes, in our prayer closet, we read the, we read the following. It says in Revelation 5.13, it says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, all of them praising the Lord together. So those of you who are familiar with the Anglican liturgy or Roman Catholic liturgy, Lutheran liturgy, Greek Orthodox liturgy, we all have a line or two lines, yes, in the Eucharistic prayer. And that says, together with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Yes, we join in their praises. Yes, it is heaven meeting earth. So the dead really aren't dead. Yes, they're not deadheads. It's actually a community that's alive. Yes, I'm not trying to be spooky or um, uh, occultish or anything. This is, a, I believe, standard uh, Christian understanding for the last 2,000 years. And it's uh, not something, by the way, we took from the pagan world or something that Constantine uh, gave to us. In actual fact, Jews who lived in the late Second Temple period believed this. If you 
know anything about the community that li lived at Qumran. They believed that every Sabbath, yes, they were joining with the angels and praising the Lord. And other Jews had a, uh, at the time had an understanding, yes, of uh, what worship was like uh, in God's heavenly throne room or God's temple. The temple and the throne room are, are synonymous. Yeah, so it's something that uh, we inherit uh, from the Jewish, from the Jewish people. So the dead aren't, they're still with us. But there's even something I think, uh, maybe uh, I would think uh, uh, more important, and that is those who have been faithful and those who have gone before us, they teach us how to live out Scripture. They teach us how to follow Jesus. Now, I know it is um, very popular in our circles and our culture to say, well, I'm just following Jesus. It's Jesus and me and the Bible, and that somehow that's all I need. But I, I think when people say that, they forget what Paul said to the church at Corinth in two places. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. You need a mentor. You need someone to model, yes, what being faithful looks like. So follow me. And of course, in Hebrews chapter 11, where we're given these, where we're told about uh, Abraham and uh, Moses and many other saints. Again, so that we can do what? So that we can model our lives, yes, on their lives. And we can be encouraged, we can learn courage, and that we can, we can be faithful. And so many of these saints, many of these saints have lived through war and famines and epidemics and have remained faithful. And we can, we again, can take courage and learn from them. You know, once uh, the world starts to turn upside down and the social order begins to collapse and uh, the economy is rocky or a depression or a recession comes along, there's a war, it's very, very easy for us as human beings to say, okay, now the rules don't apply anymore. And uh, I don't really need to be faithful anymore. And so m many, many, many believers have remained faithful in the most difficult of circumstances, perhaps in the middle, for example, of World War II. Many have remained faithful in times a little bit as similarly uh, just as difficult. That is, uh, we often find it hard to be faithful when things are boring, when things are mundane, yes, and we have to do a routine day after day, look after a relative who's sick, pick up kids from school every day, and uh, dissatisfaction and a boredom sets in and we become very anxious, and we yearn for something. Yes, and we're not very satisfied with life. And somehow the grass is always greener on the other side. 
And millions of saints, millions of people who met the living Jesus and had their lives transformed, you know, have lived through the routine and through boredom and through the mundane and also been faithful. It's not always about living through World War III. So we need the saints. We need them. And we should be grateful for their lives. We, I, know, I know many of us, when we think about gratitude, we start by thinking, well, I got a job, I have a house, I have a boat, you know, I have a dog. But we should be grateful, not only to, for what God has done for us, but I think we should be grateful, especially for relationships. And when we can be grateful for the relationships in our lives, I think it's a sign of maturity. Yeah, it's a sign of emotional wholeness. Yes. And we need to be grateful for folks who are yeah, model, encouraging us, modeling for us, mentoring us. Maybe they're not even doing it on purpose. We also need to be grateful for those who've gone before us. We need to study their lives and dispense with this kind of this amnesia. We don't want to know about people in the past, but we don't think people in the past are very important. We need to talk about them as if they're living and still with us. I grew up in a Roman Catholic household, and uh, you know, we were always talking about the saints. You know, Saint Teresa, Saint, um, Saint John of the Cross, my favorite at the time was uh, Padre Pio, and uh, it's as if these folks were still with us, as if they were at the dinner table. Of course, they don't replace Jesus, and we're not substituting their lives for Scripture. But they're helping us, yes, live out, yes, the will of God as found in Jesus the Messiah. And for that, we, we need to express a certain gratitude. I think we also need to remember when we talk about saints, yes, that uh, before there was St. Augustine and before there was St. John Whitfield or St. John Newton or St. Mother Teresa, all of these folks were just very, very ordinary people. And what's incredible about their lives is how God took ordinary people and did extraordinary things with them. Yes. Now, some people, they are like these 21 um, Egyptians. And in February of 2015, these Egyptian Coptic Christians, they were working in Libya as guest workers. They were captured by the Libyan branch of ISIS. They were marched down to the beach, the Mediterranean seashore, and they were given the choice, convert to Islam, deny Jesus, or keep your faith and you'll lose your head. And so 20 were Coptic Christians, one may have been a Muslim, one 
may not, we're not sure, but in the end, 21, 21 Egyptians yeah, gave their life for Jesus. They washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Notice, they washed it. We often say, I'm washed in the blood, I'm washed in the blood. It's true, we're washed in the blood. But at the same time, paradoxically, we do the washing as well. We're chosen, we're cleansed, yet obedience is expected from us. So we have saints like this. And let me end by just telling you about one of my favorite saints. She's not famous. I don't think anyone's ever heard her name. Maybe one or two people who are listening to this broadcast might be familiar with her. But her name was Sybil. Sybil Perry. And Sybil lived in a town west of Oxford, a tiny English village. She was single, never married. She, for a while, was the postmaster of this little village. And uh, Sybil, before she took retirement, and even more so afterwards, Sybil was a prayer warrior. And she would sit for hours in her front room, yes, in a window, next to her window, overlooking the village, and uh, she would receive prayer requests, literally from people all around the world. And when I was in trouble, I would call Sybil. Now, why would I call Sybil? Because I know that those who are saintly, those who are godly, those that are holy, pay a huge price for their purity. But the reward is, is that they have power. They have a relationship with the Lord. And Sybil always reminds me of that verse in James, the prayer of the righteous, the prayer of the righteous availeth much. Yes. And Sybil died a few years ago. Um, many people, you know, came to her funeral. But she, I always remember her and probably another, a number of other British and English prayer warriors, you know, as, uh, as being a saint, as inspiring me, you know, to um, pray as she did and to live as she did. So you might be a famous saint, a martyr. You might be a saint like many millions who, who are unknown. Brothers and sisters, let's be grateful for their lives. Father in heaven, we pray that those who have gone before us truly are not dead and their good deeds follow them. We pray that uh, we will be inspired and encouraged and strengthened by their lives and by their good works. We pray that uh, you will bring to mind, yes, or bring in front of us, yes, those faithful ones 
that will uh, help each one of us live faithfully and walk in holiness. Yes, to bring blessing to ourselves and blessings to others and to please and glorify you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.